Good. All right, here we go. So this is the uh, second um, shiur on Yivamot. And as I said, we're going to tackle a topic that really could take us the whole masachet, the whole period that we're studying the masachet to delve into. It's broad and it's deep. Uh, and instead of saying we're going to expand it to two shiurim, we're going to limit it to two shiurim. There's so many other fascinating things to deal with in masachet Yivamot, but there's just no way we can do this in one. And that is the topic of lotit kodidu, uh, which our friend Naftali was cheering me on today when he found out that that was the topic. He was excited about it. Now you can be doubly cheered because we're going to do it twice um, okay. or in two sections. Uh, and it comes up in actually today's daf when we dealt with the problem of Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel's different practices. And the question was whether Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel maintained practically their own divergent positions uh, or whether they just had an academic disagreement, but it was resolved. Uh, and the the issue is, is complex on a whole bunch of levels. One of them is, of course, why this topic comes up here. Because Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel start from the beginning of Brachot. The first parak of Brachot, we're going to see an example of that, a machloket. And we're going to see examples of people practicing like the different schools. And this question isn't really raised there. Uh, we'll see why it's why this is the spot that the Gemara, that the editors decided to put this discussion in about Lotit Godu. Lotit Godu is not really discussed uh, in the Bavli anywhere else but here, uh, at least not broadly. So let's start with the beginning and see what's going on. The, the entire thing starts in a pasuk in the beginning of Parakyud uh, Dalad of Dvarim. Banim Atem Ladunayadoichem. You are God's children. Lotit Godu. Do not and again, I don't know what that means. Do not put a bald spot between your eyes um, over a dead person. Now, parenthetically, this is the pasuk that serves, at least in the Midrash, have for our information that tefillin is to be worn on top of the head. Because the Torah says you wear tefillin between your eyes. And literally should mean to wear it right here on the top of your nose. Um, and sometimes you see people who do wear that that way because they're over literalists, but they also don't understand the phrase because here clearly means on top of the head because it talks about making a bald spot. So it's got to be somewhere where at least for most people, or at least during part of their life, there is hair there and that they make a bald spot. And uh, and so that's how we know, just like here is in a place of hair, is also a place uh, where there's hair. Okay. But contextually, you can see that lotit go to do has something to do with funerary practices, something about cutting yourself. Uh, and we're not exactly sure what it means. We're going to find out in a minute. So we'll go straight to the Midrash Tanaim. The Midrash Tanaim of Dvarim, right here, lotit go to do. And the interpretation is lo tasu chabura al Do not make a wound over a dead body, meaning a wound on your own body because somebody died. Ugedida usrita achati. Now in Vayikra, we're told seret la nefesh lo Don't make a cut in, on your body when somebody dies. And the Midrash here says gedida and srita. Those two verbs are basically the same thing. But if you do it because of somebody died, you're chayav, whether you do it with a tool or with your hand, tear it your hand with your hand. Right? But if you're doing it as part of an idolatrous practice, meaning 
it's part of a worship practice, not a funerary practice, then you're only chayav if you did it with a tool and not with a uh, with a, your hand. And what's the source for this? And how do we know that Gedidah means this? In the famous scene of Eliyahu, Eliyahu's biggest bombastic moment, if you will, was on Har Carmel when Eliyahu had the famous competition of God against the Baal or the Baalim. And it was Eliyahu alone against either the 450 or 850 Nevi'im of, of uh, Izevel. And he gave them the deal. You guys can go first. Remember, the deal was each one of us will build an altar. Each of us will put an ox on the altar and we won't put any fire and we'll pray for our God to make fire come down. And you guys get to go first because yeah, I'm the home team here. So your visitors are up first. And um, and of course, nothing could happen. They didn't do anything. And it's a very hilarious scene during that time when the Baal prophets are dancing and gesticulating and doing all sorts of things to try to waken the Baal that the Baal should make it uh, make the fire come down. Um, and in it, it says, They they did gedida, this dude, this gedida, kemishpata means as is their regular practice with swords and lances. So you see, first of all, that gedida means cutting themselves. And by the way, and the rest of the pasuk is until they actually started bleeding. So you see it was cutting themselves. You also see that as part of an avodah zarah practice was specifically with tools and not with their hand. Okay. This is actually, this is actually done today in India. Where they will they will cut themselves for as a part of their as part of their avodah, as an avodah or at a, at a funeral. No, no avodah, not, not okay, the funeral. Good. I don't so, know, but I know it's part because I've seen yeah. the scars. I've seen the scars. I've not seen the ceremony. So you you see that it is. And by the way, there are religious Christians who, in certain contexts, because of stigmata, will do the same thing. They'll try to induce stigmata. So you're right. It's a popular thing within a lot of pagan cultures. Right. That's why God picked us. Right. To be different. But thank you for pointing that out. So that's the simple shot of the pasuk, and you can see contextually, it means that uh, it, it refers to cutting yourself. Now, just one note about pshat. If we say what's pshat, what is the pshat? All right. So what what what's the answer to that question? They say what's pshat. What is the pshat meaning of something? So there is not a single answer to that. Because when you ask Rashi what's Pshat, he'll give you a different kind of answer than Rashbam, and a different answer than certain contemporary Orthodox scholars will give you about what Pshat is. The way that we're using Pshat, the broader meaning of it, which is, by the way, not the one that Rashi uses, is contextually, anthropologically, philologically, and on a literature level, what the most likely meaning of the word is. Right, Midrash pulls words out of context, pulls words out of their normal meaning, pulls words out of their historic context or phrases out of their historic context to mean something else. I'm mentioning that because the contextually, this prohibition is one that has to do with cutting yourself over a dead person. That's what, and of course, what are we? Why are we dealing with that in Yivamot? No reason at all. Davar Acher, Davar Acher in Midrash means here's another approach to the Pasuk. Lo titko to do means lo tehu asuyim agudot agudot. Don't turn yourself into clans, as it were, separated clans. And aguda means a group that hangs together. 
like your fingers on your hand, agudator al eretz yisada, right? Uh, but agudot agudot means that there's a clan here and a clan there and a clan there, and they're not all unified. With political, political parties? What? Political parties, but but for what? We'll have to see. That doesn't mean that you can't have groups that disagree with each other about policy or about even hashkafar or whatever it is. We'll see what the application is. But as you can see, this is not the simple shot in the pasuk. Contextually, it doesn't fit. They're playing with the word lotit godedu aguda, which is not the same word, because the root of lotit godedu is gimel dalad dalad, which means to scratch or to cut. And the root of Agudah is Aleph Gimel Dalad, which is to band together, like Lulav Tzarich Eged. A Lulav needs to be bound together. There's nothing to do with cutting. But the alliteration allows for the Midrash. And now, Mikan, here's the application. L'shnei bate dinin bi'ir achat. Now listen to these words because we're going to be surprised by them. I'll come back to them. Two courts in one city... So you've got two courts in Tiberia, and one court issues its ruling following the position of Beit Shammai, and the other court down the block in Tiberia issues its ruling following the dissenting opinion of Beit Hillel. That seemed, that's the violation of Lotit Godudu. Now, before going any further, I'm going to raise the following question. Anytime the Torah prohibits us from doing something, as the Lotas say, there are potentially consequences, meaning that if you violate it, there's a punishment. Now, what are the exceptions to that rule? When do we say that even if you violate a law from the Torah intentionally and with knowledge, you are, there's still no actual consequences in the court? There's consequences between you and God, and there's consequences in your own neshama. But there's no consequences in court. What, when, when do we say that? When do we remove consequences from the table? And I'm setting you up for part of the discussion. So that's a, a punishment of courage? So, right. So when there is a more severe punishment, and that's a heavenly punishment, there is a machloket in makot, whether or not we get makot anyways, and that removes the karet, or whether um, uh, karet trumps Makot, and Makot doesn't help. So we don't get Makot. That's one. So you could do something intentionally with foreknowledge and awareness, and it's a violation of the Torah, and not be dragged into Beitin for anything because it's too heavy for Beitin to, to handle. What else? What's another example? Does the Torah prohibit us from gossiping? Yes. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What happens if you gossip? Do you get Makot? No. You do not. Why not? The, one of the rules is lav she'en bo ma'aseh. A lota say that has no action associated with it does not carry makot. So for instance, Pesach is coming up. There is a rule of the Korban Pesach, which is lototiru mimenu ad boker. You are not allowed to leave any of it over until morning. What happens if you're sitting there with an hour to go in the night and you're watching your Korban Pesach sit there and nobody eat it? You're violating a lotase. Are there consequences? There are not. Why? Because you're not doing any action. You're just sitting by and watching it happen. That's at least one opinion in the, among the Tanaim. What's another example of a lotase that you don't get makot for? Let's say that I steal. Is stealing prohibited? Absolutely. Lotigzol. What happens if I steal? Do I get makot? 
Oh, there's a penalty, a penalty to pay. No, exactly. There's, there's a different pay. punishment, which is to pay it back. Not a punishment, but a different fix. The Torah gives it a fix, and that is to pay it back. Or classically, I go up to the nest and I take the birds and I take the mother. Did I violate what the Torah said? Lo Yes, I did. Do I get makot? No, because I can fix it by sending it away. So there's a, a group of exceptions to the rule about uh, about getting makot for a lab. Now, here's my question. In this case, there is a court. The court down the block has issued a ruling like Beit Hillel. My court now issues a ruling like Beit Shammai in the same town. According to this Midrash, is anybody held liable for this? Is anybody punished? What do you think? I don't know, it just says, it's just an Avera. Well, right. yes, but it's low. It's a lotas say in the Torah. Yeah. All right, so keep that in mind. Are we going to punish somebody here? Are we going to punish the head of the Beitin, all of the Dayanim? Are we going to only punish somebody who follows their ruling? And then who's it going to be? Only whichever Beitin happened to be second to the to the game, like who issued the second ruling? We'll have to find out what if they issued it simultaneously. Do they all get it? You understand? We have a little bit of a problem. I'm going to show you that there's actually a much bigger problem with it because of the nature of this lot. But I want to show you the, the contours of this. So now, notice that we have another, yet another lotitko to do, meaning another application. Which sounds like it's just another way of saying the, the earlier one, which is, don't turn yourself into clans, but rather be one big clan. Don't be agudot, be one aguda. And to quote the Pasuk in Amos, that God builds his towers up in the heaven and his aguda is founded on the earth, which shot is about creation. But the drasha is that we, Am Yisrael, are the aguda, are the unified community. Now, how is this different than the earlier one? The earlier one was, don't have two courts issuing opposite rulings in one town. And the second one is, everybody should be part of one group and not have cliques, or maybe political parties, or dissenting groups. Is that the same thing? Is that different? Is it a subset of it? Unclear, right? And then, watch the Midrash goes on. It's, it just, it's not exactly on point, but it's too delightful to ignore. Take a look. Watch how the Pasuk is interpreted. When Am Yisrael is united and are doing God's will, then God's stairs are in the heaven. God's pluses and God's high places are in the heaven. Not. And they, the Midrash doesn't want to continue. So notice what it does to the Pasuk. Look back at the Pasuk. God builds his high places, his steps up in the heavens, and his group is unified below. And the way they're interpreting it is, if the group is not unified below, then his high places in the heaven aren't there. And then it goes on to give several examples of that phenomenon in Sukim. Kayotsebo, Ataomer, Ze'eliv Yanvehu, right? In Shiratayam, we say, this is my God and I will adore him. Kshanim modelo harehu na'eh. When I acknowledge God, God is beautiful. If I don't, and the, the Midrash doesn't want to continue, as if to say, and then you imagine the rest. 
In other words, it's putting the keys in man's hands, in Am Yisrael's hands, to determine God's glory in the world. And now another example. And Moshe says, when I call out God's name, you grant greatness to him. And the drush is, when I call on God's name, that creates greatness for God. If I don't call on God's name, it's as if God isn't great. Right? And they have another example, a couple of examples of the same phenomenon where the Pasuk lists glory of God and glory of Israel together. And the Midrash links them together and says that the glory of God is dependent on Am Yisrael doing their job. And it all starts with the Pasuk Eramos, and it's driving home the point that when we do not act as a unified nation, we are, as it were, as if to say, we can't really say this theologically, but Midrashically, homiletically, we want to say, it's as if God's unity is impinged upon. So fabulous statement, theologically very difficult to, to take, but on an, on, an, on an approach level, it's very powerful. Now, the question is, is that an extension of the thing of two courts, or is that a separate thing? Meaning the two courts is a legalistic issue of courts are not allowed in one city to issue opposite rulings. And secondly, is an idea that Am Yisrael should be united in, in, in their behavior, in their... In, in, in the, and they don't define themselves as separate groups and schisms and sects and different groups that behave different way, but rather we're all one nation. Rabbi, can I make an observation? Sure. Earlier you said correctly that this seems out of context with the latter part of the Pasuk about the Korchal Amit. But the truth is, <coughs> excuse me, if you look at the beginning of the Pasuk, uh, very the good. Pasuk, Same Same mm-hmm. then the idea of you're all children's gods, you should be united. That makes it makes it makes more more sense with the beginning of the pasuk and not with right. the end of the pasuk. Whereas the other part, the other part, let's go do for cutting, makes more sense with the la- end of the pasuk and not the beginning of the pasuk. Right. So so Sherman points out, and I actually have I beat you to the punch here only in source three because I quoted the other midrash on Banima Tem Lashem is that the whole focus is that you are children of God. And then lotit go to do is lotasu agudot agudaichat as picking up on the whole idea of your God's children. And God, of course, like any good parent, loves it when his kids get along and they're not broken up and they're not suing each other and they're not whatever you know people do. Right. So um this is what the, this is the point of the C free. That's an excellent point. However, the middle point, which is our point, is the one that's lost. In other words, there's three midrashim here. Midrash one is not a midrash. It's simply saying the definition of lotit go to do. It's cutting yourself because of somebody who died or cutting yourself as part of Abu Dazara. Simple shot. Second one was our topic, which is two courts in one town issuing opposite rulings. Not just different, but opposite rulings. And third is we should all get along. So that we should all get along fits the beginning of the pasuk, as we see here. The don't cut yourself is the simple shot in the pasuk. But our topic, which is the courts not issuing a um, uh, uh, op- two different courts in town issuing opposite rulings, that's still a little hard to find, right? Now, we're going to jump straight to Sefer HaMitzvot, because Sefer HaMitzvot, of course, is an elegantly organized work by the Rambam. The Rambam wrote Sefer HaMitzvot as an introduction to, to Mishnei Torah, although he wrote Sefer HaMitzvot in Arabic, and Mishnei Torah, of course, was written in Hebrew. 
But in the Sefer Mitzvot, Mitzvot Lotase number 45, here it is, he writes the following. The Torah forbade us to cut into our skin, just like the Avodah do. And he quotes the whole piece, right? And now go to the big print. And he gives the definition. Now I want you to see how careful the language is. Included in this prohibition, meaning included as part of the prohibition of cutting yourself, to have different customs in one city, the chiluka kibutzim, or to have different groups, schisms. By the way, the Rambam, if you notice, very cleverly melds together in Midrash number two and Midrash number three, that it's both about rulings and about schisms and sects. The he said, the simple pshat of the pasuk is about cutting yourself for somebody who died. Now the Rambam just, just um, um, contradicted himself because first he said, included in this ruling, in this, in this uh, prohibition, is the separate courts. And then he says, but simple reading is it's about cutting yourself. And this thing about Agudot is a drush. He quotes a Gore in Sanhedrin in the 10th and 11th parak. Now, notice where the Rambam's going with this, because the Rambam is very careful with his language. He quotes the Gore in Sanhedrin in an Agadah, which says that if somebody maintains machloket, somebody's got a machloket with somebody else and refuses to budge, and the other person makes an overture to try to make peace and refuses to come to the table, he violates a lotase, which is do not be like Korach and his people. Now, the simple pshat is not that. And he says, meaning the pasuk is not saying don't be like Korach. The pasuk is saying, let's take the, the uh, metal from the censers that they used and bake them as covers for the Mizbeach so everybody will see what happens. So nobody should do what Korach did. In other words, it's not a warning against doing what Korach did. It's setting things up to make sure that nobody follows what Korach did. So the Rambam here gives another example of where the Gemara will deal very expansively and liberally, charitably with the Pasuk, in order to drive home the point of Jewish unity and of the problem of Machloket. But again, there's a big difference between sects that don't get along, uh, 18th century Eastern Europe as an example, and uh, and uh, courts that come to different different decisions, different conclusions, and issue different rulings. It's a different ballgame. So we have to see how this plays. So it's not really a prohibition, which I mean, by the way, at this point, you would have to say, if a court did this, there would be no actual consequences to it. They wouldn't be punished. But it's like a negation. Etc. And he makes the point in the context of um, of the Korach piece, right? And again, it's as a warning. Okay. If you, however, if you take a look, and this is a study by itself, the Rambam um, dealt with mitzvot in three in three contexts. He wrote Sefer HaMitzvot. Sefer HaMitzvot, in each one, like you saw here, he gives somewhere between a two sentence and 10 paragraph 
Remember we did the Rambam and Kiddush HaChodesh back in Rosh Hashanah? Um, uh, definition of the mitzvah. Depending on how much the mitzvah demands more detail. But it's a broad thing of the mitzvah without the laws. And he says you can find the laws in this masachat and that masachat. He then gives a list of the mitzvot, a short list of the mitzvot before Mishnah Torah. If you open up any Rambam, any Mishnah Torah, you will see on the first page that's there, as soon as you get past the approbations and whoever printed it and you know whoever funded it, you see a list of all 613 mitzvot, according to the Rambam's count. It's a list. It's not Sefer Mitzvot. Sefer Mitzvot will include topics that take 10 paragraphs or one paragraph. This is a list, which is a few words. And on that list, in this Lota says, number 45, same number we had before is, what does the Rambam write as the actual mitzvah lota say? Cutting yourself. And all he says is, that those are the same thing, cutting yourself. Nothing to do with machloket. All right? In the third place where the Rambam lists the mitzvot is before each set of halachot. If you open up a Rambam, all right, we have, we just started at the table this past Shabbat because we... Purim was on Thursday, so of course we started Hilchot Pesach. We opened up the Rambam, so we do at our table. We opened up Hilchot Chametz Matzah, eight chapters, right? We study two every week and uh, finish it on Shabbat Gadol, right? Uh, and uh, and the beginning of the Rambam is Hilchot Chametz Matzah, which includes, I think it's four mitzvot asay and I'm going to guess seven mitzvot lotase, and he lists them. Very quick list, which is um, not to own chametz and not to eat chametz on the 14th in the afternoon, not to eat chametz from the 15th through the 21st, and not to have chametz seen and not to have chametz found, etc. Right? And to eat matzah and to tell the story of the right. Okay. In Hilchot Avodazara, the Rambam has 51 mitzvot. Get that. 51 out of 613 are just in Hilchot Avodazara. Right? And He's, he lists them. I didn't put them all here. Two of them are mitzvot say, having to do with destroying Abu Dazara, and 49 lotase. What's lotase number 50 on this list? Shalolahit Godeh. That's all. And notice where the Rambam put it. The Rambam did not put it in the laws of Sanhedrin, which is where we talk about courts, or laws of Mamrim, but he put it in the laws of Abu Dazara. Now, let's take a look at the halachot themselves. Remember, the way the Rambam organized things is that Sefer Mitzvot is an independent book. At the beginning of the Mishnah Torah, you have the very, very short list of 613 mitzvot. And then before each set of halachot, you have that same list reproduced in order to tell you which mitzvot are going to be clarified in this set of halachot. So before Hilchot Kriyat Shema, there's going to be one mitzvah taseh, which is to read Kriyat Shema day, morning and evening. All right, before Hilchot uh, Shofar, Sukkah, Lulav, there are the three mitzvot aset, right? Boom, boom, boom. Before Hechot Avodazar, there's 51 mitzvot listed. Mitzvah number 50 is Shalolit Kodeid. Don't cut yourself. That's it. Okay. And here's what I would assume I would assume that the Rambam in Hechot Avodazar would only talk about not cutting yourself with a tool, by hand, for somebody who died, Avodazar. And then he would leave somewhere in Hilchot Sanhedrin the law about Beit Din not issuing two rulings. 
Not so simple. Here's the Rambam's actual language in the halacha. Okay? In halacha, Yud Gimel, he just defines it's cutting yourself, etc. And then look at Yud azarazo, Included in this prohibition. That there should not be two courts in one city. Each one of them having a different practice. Now, question number one is, why did the Rambam put this in Echot You understand, this is a this is directed to the court and how the court should behave. For instance, Sanhedrin, when they kill somebody, we're going to see this a little later on, when they kill somebody, they have to fast that day. They're not allowed to eat on a day that they kill. That's in Echot Sanhedrin, not in Echot prohibited foods. That's a law of the court. All right? So uh, uh, accepting testimony is in Hechot Sanhedrin because of the procedure of the court. Why isn't this in Hechot Sanhedrin? And it's not there, by the way. It's only here. That's question one. Observation is the Rambam does something very delicate. Do you remember back when we started, we saw three Midrashim, three comments in the Midrash. The first one was that the thing means cut yourself. The second one was two courts issuing Opposite rulings. And the third one is Am Yisrael should get along. Look how cleverly the Rambam put two and three together here. He said the court should not issue different rulings in one town because that will lead to machloket. What kind of machloket will it lead to? It won't lead to machloket of uh, I'm careful about this thing and you're careful about that thing. It is that you guys are no good because we know the truth. Because our Beitin knows what they're doing, and you guys don't. And then you get in a fight, and we've seen such things happen. So the Rambam seems to see Loti Godadu as being essentially about creating Machloket. And therefore, it's the Beitin's job to do everything they can to avoid Machloket by having a unified voice, including multiple Batidin in one city. All right, so I just want to put that out there. We're going to come back to all of this, some of it today, some of it tomorrow. He has no problem deriving two different mitzvot, even though it's not in his minyan of mitzvot from the same from the same words. Excellent. So glad you did that. That's a perfect segue to the next section. Thank you. You saw it. Okay. <laughs> no, I didn't see anything. Okay, well, here it is. I'm trying to draw logical conclusions here. Well, very good. You saw it with your mind, even better. Okay, so we're, we're going to spend the next few minutes talking about a, a category that we refer to as lav shebechlalut. Now, Remember, I asked you before, do you always get makot for a lotase? So you, you correctly pointed out that if there's a more serious punishment, in many cases, you won't get makot. Um, if the Torah puts in a fix for what you did, like taking the mother bird or stealing, you don't get makot. If there's no action involved, like watching the Korban Pesach just sit there whilst the sun comes up, there's no makot. There's yet another category, which we call lav shebechlalut. So let me take you straight to the Gemara on it, and then we'll come back to it, All right? And you, you see here in Vayikra, in Parsha Kedoshim, there's only four words, three words we need to see. Everybody see it? Lo tochlu al adam. Everybody see it? In the big print, lo tochlu al adam, right? right? What does that mean? Don't, don't, eat, eat, don't, don't eat blood. Don't. Well, that would be lo tochlu dam. What does lo tochlu al adam mean? On the blood. <laughs> yeah, good. So what does it mean? Oh, good. So here, watch. Here we go. Tanya. 
מנין לא אוכל מן הבהמה, קודם שתצא נפשה, שוב בלא תעשה. How do I know that if I eat from an animal before it's dead, like I shechted it, the blood's coming out of it, and I take a bite out of it before it's dead, that I violated a lo taseh. Talmud lomar lo tochlu al adam. Therefore, the Torah says lo tochlu al adam. So in other words, lo tochlu al adam now means don't eat from an animal before it's fully dead. Davar acher. What does davar acher mean? I got a different interpretation or an additional interpretation. Lo tochlu al adam, meaning lo tochlu basar v'adayin dam b'mazrek. Which means I brought a korban shlamin. We shechted it. The coin has the dam, and he's taking his time getting to the mizbeach. And in the meantime, I take the animal and I clean it up and I cook it and I start eating it. Not allowed to do it because I'm eating it while the dam is not yet on the mizbeach. Very different meaning. Very different application. Same pasuk. Rabbi Dosa Omer. Get number different number three. Minayin she'in mavrin al harugei how do I know that you do not serve the su'udat havra'ah? You know that meal that I think all of us have gone through when you come back from the cemetery and you buried your dead, somebody else serves you. You don't eat your own food? We don't have a meal like that if the person <coughs> was executed by the baiting. Rebekiv Omer, mean I am the Sanhedrin, that's what I mentioned before. How do I know that a Sanhedrin that executes may not eat all day, the day of the execution? We're not done. How do I know that the Torah prohibits? Because Ben Sorer More, the wayward son, is only presented as casuistic. It's a case with a result. We never hear that you're not allowed to do it. So the answer is, okay, fine. So that means now is interpreted with five different applications. And by the way, I'm giving away the house here. One of them is not necessarily more compelling than the other. Because like you said, what does that mean? I don't know. There's no obvious meaning to it. So we've got five different meanings. I'm going to show you a sixth in a minute that might surprise you. The Amarabi Avin Barchia Vitem Rabavin Barkahana. Here we go. Al Kulam e no loke. You cannot get Mako for any of these. Why? This now becomes a Lav Shibichlalut, which the easiest way I can think of translating it is a Lota say that's all encompassing. Meaning the Torah said Lotochlaadam, and the Torah meant five different things. And therefore, you can never violate what the Torah said because you violated only one-fifth of it. In other words, that you cannot do any single action, even if you did all five. The no single action that you did really was lo adam, because lo adam means a lot of things. Not it means this or that or that. It means this and this and this and this. And therefore, you never violate it. And so, therefore, you don't get makot. I'm going to show you a sixth surprising one. Again, our same pasuk. Do not eat before you pray for your own blood, for your own life. Meaning, you're not allowed to eat before davening. Based on lo tochlu adam. Right? And the Gemara then goes on with an agadah about what that means, uh, about, you know, how, how terrible it is. A person sits and eats, but first, and then they get up to daven, they got their... Priorities mixed up. Now, take a look at this. The Ramah, Ramel Halevi Abulafia, in Spain, 13th century, um, 
in his explanation, in his beautiful commentary on Sanhedrin, in his commentary on Sanhedrin, he explains the following. Lo tochlu adam, lo tochlu basar kodshim v'dayim dam mazreik, v'hai krad lo tochlu stamaktiv. Watch what he says. The pasuk lo tochlu is written without clarification. Umashme de kayo be kol midi it be achilal adam. The implication is it includes any kind of eating that's al hadam. Whether I'm a member of a court that killed somebody today, or whether I'm bringing a carbon and the dam wasn't put on the Mizbeach yet, or whether I shechted an animal and it's not dead yet, whatever it may be, it includes all of those. Hilkach darshinan be kol midi, Therefore, we darshan all of them because all of them are included. So when the Torah said, adam, it meant don't eat with any of these dam problems. And therefore, if you eat and you violated one of the dumb problems, you didn't really violate the whole pasuk. You're not allowed to do it, but the consequences aren't there. And now watch, Rabbeinu Aaron Alevi. Rabbeinu Aaron Alevi was a student of the, uh, the Rashba, um, right, 13th century, uh, late 13th century, 13th century in Spain. Um, this is about davening. And then he says the following, because we have, a, it's weird, we have a pasuk in the Torah that we're interpreting as being about davening, meaning don't eat before davening. But davening is derabonim. How could there be a pasuk in the Torah that says don't eat before davening if the Torah is not aware of davening? And so he says, Tfilah is certainly doraita. And he brings the pasuk, which is in the pasuk is quoted, the pasuk in Mishpatim, Avodash which is the, the Gemara in Tanit. You know, the Torah, when it talks about worshiping God with your heart, uh, that's a reference to Tfilah. So Tfilah is Doraita. What words we use, the structure, what the three times a day, that's all Durabanan. But Tfilah is an essentialist act, is Doraita. And therefore, he says, the Torah prohibits eating before davening. And then he says, We don't get makot. So if somebody eats before davening, they don't get makot. Why? He doesn't say that you don't get makot for eating before davening because it's not so serious. Or because everybody else does it. Or because, you know, our minions at 1030, so, you know, what can I do? And not because it's darbonan, but he says, you can't get makot for it because... It's darshan for all sorts of other things. We saw in Sanhedrin. In other words, this lotase includes a lot of things, including not eating for davening, <clears throat> not eating if you're on a court that killed somebody, etc. Okay. Now, by the way, the Rambam says this explicitly. In where it should be in Hilchot Sanhedrin, you see it here. The Rambam says <clears throat> that in Parakut Chet, <clears throat> he gives the list of which things you don't get makot for, grouped with exceptions, and he says Lav in Lakin Alav. Now watch what he gives as an example, because we're going to come back to our question, and I'm going to phrase the question right now. <clears throat> I'm a member of a Beit Din. And the Beit Din in the city has issued a ruling like Beit Shammai. Let's make it really on point. They've said, Sarat Erva can have Yibum. It's exactly our point. Sarat Erva has Yibum. 
And our Beitin gets together and issues the ruling like Benhilla saying, no, Sarat Erva cannot have Yibum. And by the way, if they do Yibum, the kids are Mamzer. So remember what the implications are. All right. Do we get Makot? We violated Lotit Godudu, didn't we? We have two courts in the same city that issued opposite rulings. So watch what the Rabbim says here. Ezu Lav Shibichalut. What's a Lav? This is in Sanhedrin. What's a Lav Shibichalut? A lota say that includes a lot of things, kigon, and what is the best example of all? Lo tochlu al hadam. That is, by the way, the flag waving example of lav shemichalut. V'cheinim ne'amar lota said there are poni uponi huilvu lo yichelo lav l'chol achad v'chad me'an emokin al kol achad v'chad. Right. So therefore, if the Torah said don't do A and B and C, you can never get makot because you can't ever do A and B and C at the same time. And the Torah only made one law for all three of them. Okay? And so therefore, again, back to the Korban Pesach, the Torah prohibited eating Korban Pesach raw or cooked. Right? It says, therefore, there's just one Isur, and the Ram goes in the definition, you don't get two Makot for eating non-Mivushal, but you do get one. And he gives other, other examples of this. Notice, though, that that leaves us with the problem of lotit kodidu. If lotit kodidu means don't cut yourself, and it also means don't set up courts that issue opposite rulings, let me ask you this. If somebody now hears that their relative died and they cut themselves, do they get makot? What do you think? Do you see the problem? Because the Torah said lotit go to do, and we interpreted lotit go to do means don't cut yourself, and also don't issue have beitin two batei in one city issuing opposite rulings, right? If a person cuts himself when he hears that a relative died, does he get makot? Okay, so now take a look here. The and this with this we're going to end this. Subunit of um, of um, of the Lav Shabbat Way back here in Hilchot Avodah the Rambam told us that included in Lotit Godidu is also two courts. Don't cut yourself. Also two courts. I gave you this whole introduction to get you to this comment of the Kesef Mishnah. So let's talk a little bit about the Kesef Mishnah. Who authored the Kesef Mishnah? Do you know? Some banker. Okay. So the Rishonim were very careful and very uh, devoted to creating artful names for their works. The Rambam's calling his book the Mishneh Torah was very deliberate. And because he used the word Mishneh Torah, the, power, the famous commentaries on the Mishneh Torah all used the word Mishneh. So you had the Magid Mishneh, you have the Lechem Mishneh, and then you had the Kesef Mishneh. The Kesef Mishneh was authored by none other than Rabbi Yosef Karo. So why did he call the book Kesef Mishneh? Because, of course, when the brothers came back to Yosef, they brought back Kesef Mishneh. They brought double money because the money they had originally paid for the grain had been slipped back into their bags. So they returned and they said it must have been a mistake and they brought Kesef Mishneh. He, being Yosef, called his commentary on the Mishneh Torah, 
Kesef Mishneh. The Kesef Mishneh is perhaps the most ubiquitous of commentaries on the Rambam. Uh, it's on every set of halachot, and it's published in every standard edition of the Rambam. And it usually has pride of place, which is inside margin. Okay? The Kesef Mishneh, sometimes the Magi Mishneh will have, the Kesef Mishneh on Rabbi Yosef Karo. <clears throat> you guys know when Rabbi Yosef Karo lived, right? He died in 1538. All right, that's actually really yeah. important because he was the first of the real uh, master oh, authors who, who uh, not only whose book went directly to print, but who actually oversaw the printing. And he deliberately picked Venice, even though he was in Israel, he deliberately picked Venice uh, as the place to be printed because it was a better printing house. Right. Anyhow, uh, that's the talk about Shokhanar. Vichalaz or Azuz, and other the Kazimish Chakavan, Sof Parakamadi Vonoth. He quotes, he says, where our Gemara is. And by the way, it's where we are in Dafyomi, the end of the first chapter of Yavonot. Lotit go to do. Right. Now, the Imtomar, Now, you guys might have missed it here, but if you recall, in our Gemara that we studied today, Abaye and Rava disagreed about what Lotit go to do means. Abaye said, Lotit Godinu means two courts in one city issuing opposite rulings. That's exactly what the Midrash says. That's exactly what the Rambam says. Everybody seems to say that. Rava disagrees, and Rava says it means two groups on a court. One court issuing opposite rulings and practicing their, their opposite rulings. Says, why did the Rambam ignore Abaye, uh, ignore Rava and rule like Abaye? We know we always, always rule like Rava over Abaye, except in six famous cases. So why did he rule like Rava? And by the way, the question is not just on the Rambam, questions on the Midrash, questions on everybody we've seen so far. So he says, he says as follows. So he gives one explanation, which is we only have the rule, do we rule like Rava over Abaye, when Rava and Abaye are directly disagreeing on their own. As opposed to when they're disagreeing within somebody else's opinion, then I ain't sham. Okay, that's one way to say it. He, he was bothered by the language of the Rambam. Remember that Rambam said this exactly. It was the wording of the Rambam. That you have different customs in one city. Some people have this custom, some people have that custom. By the way, keep me out. I mean, we have that, right? We have people in our city. We eat rice on Pesach, perfectly 100% kosher Jews, right? Right? That becomes like two batedin. They're not two courts. The Rambam did not actually say two courts, but rather two groups having different customs. If you have two groups with different customs, it's like two batedin. Very difficult to say that in the language, because it sounds from our whole sugya that it's about courts and schools ruling a certain way, not about minhag. He says it's possible that the Rambam's text became corrupted with copyists, etc. And I'll look in the big print. Here's the question. A guy cuts himself because he heard that his relative died. How do we give him makot? 
By the way, it was that line in the Kesem Mishnah that caused me to put that whole introduction. But it's a great question. How do you get makot for cutting yourself if Lotit Godadu also includes this thing about Bateidin? They're not the same. By the way, you notice that the Rambam did not give Lotit Godadu as an example in the laws of Lav Shemichalut. We know that the real love here is not to cut ourselves. The text also alluded to an extension of the idea by saying, don't make yourself, by interpreting, don't put yourself into groups. Remember we said this, Bill, when I said, what's Lotachlo Adam? Say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows. In other words, Adam does not have a simple meaning. And therefore, we have meaning one through six. We say, therefore, it's a lav shebechalut because the Torah is ex- deliberately wrote it in an ambiguous fashion to allow for all six meanings. And therefore, you can never violate the lav because you only violated one-sixth of the lav when you ate before davening or ate as a member of the Beit that killed somebody or whatever. He says, as opposed to lotit goder, lotit goder, we know what it means. What does it mean? It means don't cut yourself. Simple pshat. There's room in the pasuk to extend it and read it as something more, and therefore we'll say, aha, it could also identify the issue of courts that are in disagreement in one city or whatever. All right. Which leads us to the beginning of part two. So I want to quickly summarize part one, and we'll start part two. Part one we looked at the pasuk, Lotit Godadu. We saw the Midrash, the Lotit Godadu was interpreted in three different ways, but way number two and three seem to be sneakingly related. Sherwin pointed out that way number three and way number one both fit the pasuk well. Way number one, clearly because of cutting yourself, it's right there in the pasuk. And way number three, which is because by Nimatem, you're all God's children, you should get along. But way number two was harder to identify, and we're still going to, that's a nut we're going to still have to try to crack. We then took a look at, um, at the issue of a, um, uh, we saw where the Rambam ruled about this, and we saw that the Rambam's language in Sefer HaMitzvot was to include Agudot, but not in the counting of the mitzvot. However, oddly enough, the Rambam included in the laws of Avodah Zarah, not the laws of the court, after he said that you're not allowed to cut yourself, he said also that includes not having Bateidin, the Rule differently in one town, which led to our tangent about Lav Shebechalut, and we saw what a Lav Shebechalut is, and the classic example, of course, is Lotochlu al-Adam, and uh, we saw the Ramah's definition, the way that he explained it, was that the Pasuk is written without clarification, and therefore it includes all of these things, includes all of these things, any kind of eating al-Adam, and therefore you don't get Makot because it's a Lav Shebechalut. We then saw the Gemara and Brachot that applied the Pasuk to eating before davening, and we saw the Ro'oz explanation, which says <clears throat> that even though the way we daven is the Rabbanan, tefillah is an essential act is the Oraita, and therefore the Torah prohibits lo adam, meaning don't eat before you're praying for your own blood. And he says the only reason you don't get makot for that is because it's a lav shebechlalut, because lo adam includes all of these different things. We then saw the Rambam's explanation of, uh, of Lav Shemichalut, and when they saw the Kesed Mishnah. I'm going to whet your appetite, because 
sitting at the heart of this issue is Beit Shammai versus Beit Hillel. I asked why this topic is dealt with in the Gemara in the first chapter of Yevamot and not where you'd think it belongs, which is in Sanhedrin. That's where I would have put it, in Sanhedrin. That's why nobody voted for me for editor, right? Because I'm wrong. It belongs in Yevamot. Why? Because in Yevamot, we not only have the Machloket Becham Hillel, which you have everywhere, but you have the Machloket, which is followed by the statement that Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, in spite of their Machlokot, which had far-reaching consequences, they're what we call vertical consequences. Because if I am a Beit Shammaiite and I'm saying that girl whose co-wife was an erva should have Yibum, according to Beit Hillel, the kid who issues from there is a mamzer. And if that kid marries somebody else, that kid's a mamzer. And according to Beit Shammai, these people are all fine. These are vertical consequences of un unimaginable disaster. Right? And Nonetheless, the Mishnah then says, in spite of that, Bitsham and Hillel would their families would intermarry, they would do tumult b'tarot together. It's that statement that set us off on the low to go to do. Because it sounds as if Bitsham and Bithilla were sticking to their guns and practicing different practices. And nonetheless, with one provisor or, or another, were able to still live together, meaning intermarry and eat at each other's homes, etc. Whether they notified each other, I, I would say, Modilo Parshi, right? and they wouldn't marry maybe particular girls because they found that was, which Beit Hillel said, according to us, this girl is okay, but according to you, not, and Beit Shammai wouldn't marry them. And that's what occasioned this discussion, which by the way brings us back to the connection between meaning number two and meaning number three. And the way the Rambam read it and say from each vote that what go to do is really about leading to Machlopet. Being mean large scale machloka. It's not so much the, the the court issue as it is the social issue. The Beit Shammai Hill is not such a simple thing. Here's the Mishnah in source 15. Here's the Mishnah that we're dealing with. And you see in the yellow the idea that Beit Shammai Hill are nonetheless uh, married together, etc. But Tosefta expands on it. Okay. Afal P. See it? Shenechleku Beit Shammai, Kenegir Beit Hillel. Vitzarot Vachayot. That's our case. You have a case of Safek Eshet Ish, Beit Shammai Hill will rule differently. Get Yashan. Get Yashan is a man gave his wife a get, and subsequently they ended up spending the night together. Not we don't know what happened, but they ended up spending the night in seclusion. Get Yashan. According to Beit Hillel, remember the Mishnah at the beginning of Kedushan? According to Beit Hillel, a guy goes up to a girl and gives her something worth a pruta and says, All right, in front of Adi, and she accepts it. Are they married? They are. Yeah. They're not married. Now, this girl now decides she can do better and now accepts Kiddushin from a guy who offers her much more. According to Beit Hillel, okay. what's, the, what's the status? The second Kiddushin, because she's already married to the first guy. According to Beit Shammai, the second Kiddushin are valid because she was never married to the first guy. Right? And that means that according to Beit Shammai, if she stays with the first guy, those kids are mamzerim. According mm -hmm. to Hill, although she stays with the second guy, those kids are Mamzer. In other words, they disagreed in ways that are not reconcilable. Right? That's the case I gave earlier. Sorry. If I get your shot. They practice truth and peace. Notice the language. Emet v'shalom, not shalom v'emet. 
the way we interpret it is they first notified them and they knew this is a girl I can't marry because according to my principles, it, she's, no, she's not okay. Right? Amet v'shalom ahavu, which is in Zechariah. Okay. Afopi, she'elo osin ve'elo matirin. No sin tarote elo agabeled. Ukeim ha'shemar kol derech izach benav v'tochen libot Adonai. Everybody sees his own path as direct, as correct. Right? Now, Shimon Omer min ha'safek, lo ayu minim na'in, elo min ha'vadai. So they would avoid each other if it was vadai, problematic according to their own position. Le'olam halacha k'divrei be'tilel. Here's a standard rule. We're going to come back to this at the beginning of the next year. Whenever you have a machlok of Echam Hillel, the halacha follows Beit Hillel. Harotzel achmir al atzmo, linhog kechumre Beit Shammechumre Beit Hillel. Al zememar Let's say somebody wants to do all the chumrot, to always take the severe position. Beit Shammai is machmer, I'll do that. Beit Hillel is machmer, I'll do that. By the way, sometimes you can't because one's a chumrah that becomes a kula. Right? Beit Shammai says you need a dinar to come in Kaddish woman. That's chumrah. On the other hand, that also is a kula because it means if you are Makadish, you go with less, she's still free. That's a kula. Anybody who follows all the chumrot is called a fool. Let's say somebody always takes the lenient position. We know people who do this. They shop around for a terrain. Always find the lenient position. Rasha, that's a wicked person. If you're going to be a shamaite, notice the language. You got to follow there, Beit Shammai, for the easy and for the hard. By the way, notice the Tosefta. This is third century. And it seems to be saying you can be a Beit Shammaiite or a Beit Hillelite, just be consistent. Very strange in light of what we're going to see uh, about how Halacha has decided, what point Halacha has decided. And then, of course, there is uh, a whole other question, which is. Did Beit Shah and Beit Hillel really get along as well as is described in this Mishnah and this Tosefta? Not so clear. All right. We're going to bring it all together, Mitzvah Hashem, next week, including going back to our point our, our point of origin, which is Lotit Godadu. See that, that, that drasha, see the relationship between that drasha and the rest of the context, why the Ramah put in Hachot Avodah and hopefully get a better understanding of all of this. Okay. Um, okay.